0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine and beyond. And of course, today is no exception. I am really excited to be talking with the chief medical officer at Timeline. These are the guys that are doing the incredible science um, behind as well as the launch of Duralithin A. And you're going to learn all about urolithin A and why you need to, as clinicians or you know, just as savvy consumers, need to be really thinking about this important compound. But before we jump into that, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Anurag Singh. So he is the chief medical officer at Timeline. Um, they're launching urolithin A. They're also doing skincare products, which I have to say just selfishly, I would love to hear about. Um, And these are targeting improvements specifically in mitochondrial and cellular health. Uh, Dr. Singh has an MD in internal medicine and a PhD in immunology. His experience includes top work at top consumer health uh, companies like Nestle and Nestle Health Science, also startup companies, um, Amazentis and Timeline included. He's authored more than 40 articles for top science journals. He's been awarded over 15 patents. He's designed and led over 50 randomized clinical trials. His research over the past decade across multiple clinical trials on the postbiotic urolithin A and its benefits has led to the launch of multiple consumer products. Dr. Singh, welcome to New Frontiers.
1: Great pleasure to be on your podcast, Kara. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So I want to know all about Mm-hmm. Urolithin A. And I want to go, you know, we need to know what it is and how we make it in our bodies and why it's important. Um, and kind of fold that into the backstory. It's a compound that was discovered 40 years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you guys have just really gone deep into the science. So how how did this become of interest to you?
1: Sure. So, you know, as you correctly pointed out, uh, Urolithin A, the discovery of Urolithin A or the origins have been known in human sort of uh, You know, when they started looking at uh, some of the consumption around nuts and berries for for a long time, uh, um, for almost 30, 40 years, uh, the Spanish group uh, has been studying uh, sort of, uh, you know, how how it relates to gut microflora and, and things like this. We're about 15 years back, which is when we started the company uh, and behind all the research, uh, we we and Amazentis, which is the parent company behind uh, all the research that goes into Timeline products, the goal was to sort of uh, be you know apply the biotech approach to nutrition. So a lot of us uh, come from backgrounds in in uh, nutrition research for a number of uh, decades, and and we felt you know th- that there was a lot of uh, background around putting blending extracts and prebiotics and probiotics, you know, with minimalist signs. And so what what we started looking was was exactly what some of these uh, uh, fruits and berries and nuts had beneficial uh, compounds in them. And one that really attracted our interest was the pomegranate. So there had already been a lot of studies done on pomegranate juice and some of the health benefits associated with it. And so we went around the world, uh, basically sourcing pomegranates from different geographies and started, wow. you know, uh, looking at different juices from different pomegranate source. And, and every time we ran experiments, uh, you know, a pomegranate itself has about 500 beneficial compounds. So these are mostly polyphenolic compounds uh, that we call as elegitanins and pina collagens. And so when we were doing these experiments, uh, we started working actually at the Swiss Institute of Technology with a professor called Professor Johann Olbrich, who's a big name in the mitochondrial uh, field. He was behind the discoveries of uh, resveratrol and a lot of uh, NAD boosters. Uh, and so we gave him these compounds. We didn't know which one was behind uh, sort of the beneficial effects. And he came running to our uh, our, our lab and he said, "What is this one compound? Because it's really." you know uh it's really boosting the longevity in worms because worms is where all the sort of all the aging research starts and that's sort of the origin 15 years back uh we were mostly interested in the polyphenols early on the as i mentioned the ellagitannins and the collagens. but then somehow every direction we looked it, it all roads led to urolithin a which is this gut metabolite that uh, uh is you know derived from these the precursors being the Algiotanins and the Pentolagens,
0: except we don't, we don't all make urolithin A in either at all or certainly in appreciable amounts. I know there's like a yeah. there's almost yeah, a it, phenotype for who's producing what. So we don't, we're not all going to if we we can we can eat a pomegranate a day or, or in the case of my colleague at my clinic, he eats he actually eats the white, he doesn't eat the seeds, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to avoid the sugar from the seeds. But we can mm-hmm. all eat this, and we're not going to make this amazing Eurolithin A, correct?
1: Yes, absolutely correct. And so we have done a number of studies, different populations uh, in France and Canada, in the U.S. And obviously the percentages differ depending on, you know, probably people in France and Italy are eating more uh, fibers and berries and nuts falling close to the Mediterranean diet. So they, we see about 30, 40 percent in the U.S. and other North American countries like Canada. We see very low percentage. We see even like 10, 15 percent people who have the ability and it's very variable. And Mm. and I'm also one of them. So I grew up uh, in India where antibiotic use is very common. So I'm I'm guessing growing up, I was given so much antibiotics that all my my, gut microbiome, basically, the beneficial side just went away. So I can actually drink six glasses of juice and my body won't make even an iota of this compound. So I actually need to supplement it.
0: Yeah, that's so fascinating to me. So that could be one of the causes exposure to antibiotics, which is obviously you know, heavy in the in the States and in Canada, um, but also the diet. So just, you know, generations of exposure to sort yeah. of a Mediterranean type diet would yeah. yield production of the bugs that could actually make it. But even there, you're still not seeing the majority of them. I think you said.
1: Yeah. So we've actually taken a deep dive. We, we have actually taken people who produce very high, like when I say high, almost equivalent to what a, a dietary supplementation would get you. And this is about less than 5% of the people. And then we have those, if you actually gave them the right diet, so if you actually gave them the fruits and juice, you know, the pomegranate juice, the precursors, and you expose them for a while, their bodies will start producing it. So they have the gut microbiome. It's just that they're not eating right, probably uh, regularly. So that is about 30, 40%. But even the variability of response, so some will make it, you know, what I call as a sub-therapeutic or uh, sub-health benefit range where you're not gonna get any beneficial effects. And then there are those people who you can give lots of fruits and nuts, but their bodies will never convert. And and the answer is really the gut microbiome. And we've looked at the gut microbiome of these different phenotypes. And the answer is, you know, the richer and the more diverse the gut microbiome, the better chance you have to make this molecule.
0: so coming from, from a sort of whole foods, I'm a proponent, obviously, of a whole foods diet, functional lens. Clearly, we want to move everybody onto this mm-hmm. rich diet, but then also mm-hmm. respect that we may never make therapeutic amounts. So there's a place for supplementation. I know that my listeners are wondering whether or not you've been able to nail down the specific mm-hmm. microbes that produce, you know, that sure. act on the oligotanins and produce your A.
1: It, it uh, was certainly a, a project uh, that I co-led uh, internally, a long uh, and torturous project. The answer is uh, we are no closer than we were before, let's say, five years back in, in our research uh, life cycle. And the answer is primarily no, we are not close because the gut microbiome is a very complex ecosystem. And so it would be that we would think, oh, we, we have the answer with one gut, particular gut species. The next time we would repeat the experiment, another species would become the dominant species. And and, and so I think it's really the whole ecosystem. Uh, and there may be certain we, we do and we do uh, what is called as gut microbiome sequencing of the people who are really, you know, high producers we do see certain uh, beneficial uh, sort of uh, gut microbiome profiles like high in acromansia. These people have a lot of high acromansia. Now, it may Very be because they're eating a lot of good fiber and they're eating the right foods and nuts, which is why now the gut microbiome is sort of uh, evolved to producing urolitinase. So now is the the key strain um, needed to convert? We don't have an answer yet
0: isn't that fascinating yeah acromantia shows up everywhere is just something that you know you want in robust quantities yeah God, that's um that's interesting okay i was going to try to pin you down to see if you had anything like okay i'm i'm yeah i'm not even i'm not even going to go there i know i know that you've you've spent a lot of energy trying to identify it but it's a whole nice rich uh, collection of microbes, we see acromancia present in abundance in you know mm-hmm. healthy centenarians, and you know just it's probably associated with a robust microbiome, but also a lifestyle you know commensurate yeah. to enabling that. And, okay.
1: and there's no reason to believe that if you continued following a healthy lifestyle, that you could con- recondition your gut microbiome back to you know how it should have been. I, I'm sure you can achieve that. Uh, it's really a question of uh, uh, would you still get enough of the you know, the phytonutrients that, that a lot of these yes. gut microbiome uh, uh, species are making what we will call it, and we will discuss that as postbiotics.
0: Right. In, yeah, in, in therapeutic amounts and enough to actually yield a difference. And this is where, you know, what you guys have done with your A and, you know, making this bioidentical postbiotic product. Mm-hmm. Um, I So I want to I start to talk about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I know there's been a lot of clinical research in muscle health um, but there's other urolithins. Any comments on those urolithin B or you know? I know that you just mm-hmm. you guys lighted on urolithin A as the as the powerful player. But I'm just curious about the other family of urolithins. Yeah, and- we, we,
1: so there are four major families: urolithin A, B, C, D, and and we have studied all of them. Uh, in, in fact, back to, uh, to our uh, first paper in Nature Medicine, we actually phenotyped. Uh, all of them, and and urolitin A basically had the best effects, Uh, not saying that other urolitins didn't have uh, uh, smaller uh, effects in, in those. And we chose to move forward because even in our studies where we actually did these sort of gut microbiome analysis and trying to look at the percentage of people who make it, Turns out that really urolitin A is the major uh, phenotype. So uh, a lot of folks actually, uh, if they were to make urolitins, they would make urolitin A. And so that makes sense from a sort of first, uh, um, yeah, trying to develop uh, all the research behind on urolitin A, albeit there's a lot of emerging research on urolitin B, which is the other main phenotype uh, associated uh, found commonly in humans.
0: We can move into muscle health. That's extremely interesting. But where do you want to start? I, I, I'm, I'm curious to kind of unfold your journey, like some of the preclinical findings and then maybe what let, led you into seeing,
1: you know, yeah. seeing
0: kind of a miracle player for mitochondrial health and, you know, sure. muscle, of course, is right there.
1: Yeah so as i mentioned uh, we started collaborating with the laboratory of professor johann albrechts uh, who's really one of the one of the big names in the mitochondrial field uh, and we started working with him because of the anecdote story i told you about where he, he kind of started testing in, in worms now and that's where most of the aging research started or starts uh, and, and in these experiments what johann was seeing was basically a lifespan extension of about 40 to 50%, which is, oh, wow. is pretty high. For example, if you look at all the resveratrol literature, which is another compound known to boost mitochondrial health uh, in, in these ex- lifespan experiments in worms, it's about 20%. Uh, so that's what all the, let's say the initial research started with. And then Johan started playing with sort of looking at uh, what were the pathways being impacted in mitochondria. And so, um, he started comparing things like caloric restriction or you know fasting which is also known to upregulate things uh, like autophagy and mitophagy and, and mitochondria uh, which is basically the cleaning of the cellular debris and so then he started comparing them to your a and the effects were pretty similar and so that's sort of the wow. orig- uh, research uh, stream. so
0: let me let me just restate that so he was yeah. just it, and we'll come back and talk a little more about mitophagy, but he basically, it was compared, it was comparative with caloric restriction, which yeah. is something that, you know, humans are, are not, we, we're just not going to succeed at. And so we need these caloric restriction memetics to yield some of the benefits.
1: Totally agree. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, Compliance would be very poor in, in in the clinical translation of some of these caloric restriction regimens,
0: yeah. and from
1: there um, we started, uh, in, of course, in older animals and looking at you know how effects on on endurance and 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 uh, running capacity and and muscle health, which you know primarily seem to be the big phenotype emerging in these experiments. So. Uh, from, you know, when Johan started supplementing in the diet of these older animals, he started seeing about a 60% improvement in aerobic endurance, about a 10% in muscle strength, for example. And that's what really led to, you know, all the clinical research down the road uh, that uh, we have done over the past seven, eight years.
0: Just really, really cool. Um, So, Let's, I mean, let's just talk a little bit about uh, hallmarks of aging, um, mm-hmm. yeah. mitochondrial dysfunction, and, you know, and mitophagy, just like, like, and and then I I definitely want to get into the human.
1: Yeah, kind of sure. Stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get into that. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, today where we see ourselves and that's, you know, part of the journey of, of timeline has been we see ourselves with a mission that we want to increase the health span of people, right? So if yes. you can do targeted supplementation, people who can derive the benefits from this targeted benefit, uh, supplementation can then l- live to 80, 90, but be more functional. And and, yeah. and so, you know, kind of, uh, that's sort of, our, is our philosophy. And when we started out, we didn't know this compound was going to hit mitochondrial health or, autophagy. So we, you know, about 10 years back, just when we were discovering Euralitin this landmark publication from Guido Cromer uh, came out called The the Nine Hallmarks of Aging, which basically describe what happens biologically with aging, right? So you have these genetic alterations, so your sort of DNA becomes a bit more unstable. You have all these epigenetic modifications that happen. And, and, and then you have things like you know, decrease nutrient sensing and and sort of uh, um, increase in protein aggregates that lead to, for example, diseases like Alzheimer's disease. But one of the key findings in that hallmark that he found, uh, Guido, or suggested was that they all somehow linked to mitochondrial dysfunction. So that's kind of what got us into mitochondrial dysfunction. And now, apparently, so now they have revised these uh, after 10 years um uh, these hallmarks of aging and and the three additional hallmarks are gut dysbiosis. So as we age, our gut microbiome changes. And and the second new one is is declining mitophagy and autophagy, which is what, you know, really we're going to talk about during the rest of the podcast. And then the third is chronic inflammation. So somehow all these, you know, the mitochondria seems to be the central uh, pillar that connects uh, all these different hallmarks of aging. And, and I think the data we're seeing today with all the clinical studies suggest that uh, this postbiotic urolitinase is, is doing similar things, you know, dec- you know, decreasing inflammation, improving mitophagy, improving mitochondrial health. And so that's the story with the hallmarks of aging.
0: It's so exciting. Um, just really interesting. I, you know, I, I've, published a study and, and I'm continuing to research looking at biological age and a, and a yeah. diet and lifestyle intervention. And I'm definitely, you know, interested in seeing what urolithin A is doing in the in the mix. So yeah. hopefully you'll be looking at at epigenetics. Are you planning, are you, are you, is that in the works? <laughs> it,
1: it's in the works. It's in the works. We have actually first developed a test now that can tell you if you are a Urolithin A producer or not. So we're starting there, you know, it's a simple test.
0: Usually. Right.
1: With a skin sort of a blood uh, lancet prick on your finger, you just drop a few drops of blood, and we can tell you if your microbiome is conducive to making your A. And then, you know, the, the, down the road, we do see uh, adding things like uh, biological age to the mix, where consumers can take a look at uh, yeah how regular supplementation can impact some of these uh, biomarkers.
0: So, talk to me about. Um... Urolithin A in the clinical studies.
1: Sure, yeah. So uh, you know, the first studies uh, we we tried to translate, uh, giving from the work that was published, all the you know preclinical work from Johanns uh, Ulrich's lab. The first thing we wanted to do was show, of course, uh, the safety and bioavailability in in older adults, which at that time was really the target population when we wanted to, you know, make older and the aging population function better. And so the first things we did was, well, we actually took a cohort of older people who were extremely active and then a cohort of people who were what we call as frail or very sedentary. So they weren't moving around. And we looked at their mitochondrial health. And the way you do that is, is by taking a small chunk of muscle tissue from the leg through a procedure called this muscle biopsy and when we looked at these two populations what we saw was that basically the mitochondria were really the you know the key declining factor in the skeletal muscle of these older folks who weren't moving around so then we took these older folks who weren't moving around and we supplemented them with, uh, with different doses of urolitin A and, and starting at about 500 milligrams at, um, to topping to about a gram, we really started seeing about four weeks of supplementation, improving mitochondrial health in the skeletal muscle of, of these uh, older adults who were very sedentary, who were very pre-frail. So that's how it all started. And then since then, we have done many more randomized clinical trials, much longer than four weeks. Uh, So we've done up till four months and we have gone from older adults, which was the trial that we repeated after this first one that got published in Nature Metabolism. We showed that uh, giving it for four months, we improved in older adults who were again, not moving around too much. We improved their fatigue levels. So people were moving around much more and they were getting less fatigued as they did exercise. And then we went and did a trial even in the younger uh, sort of middle-aged 40 to 60-year-olds who were also sedentary and not moving around. And we saw similar effects of improving strength and endurance. And then that's essentially the data uh, that is all the published, but we have a number of studies going on.
0: You looked at CRP too, right? We did. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. So again, you know, when, when these studies take time, you know, these randomized trials take over a year and then you collect plasma, you collect muscle biopsies, and of course you do all the functional readouts. So I'm trained as an immunologist and it has always fascinated me how the mitochondria could be playing a role in inflammation as well and by improving mitochondrial health. And so we started looking at CRP as a marker of chronic inflammation because Uh a lot of older adults are chronically inflamed, a lot of overweight, middle-aged people are, are inflamed as well. And in all these trials, one biomarker that seems to be uh, significantly impacted is CRP, uh, which is always up in these trial populations we test. So I think there's future research needs to really look at the close talk of mitochondrial health and immune health as well and inflammation.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would be, I'd be really curious to see, you know, the other uh, biomarkers, you know, Mm -hmm. immune health and, you know, even lipids and, I I think you could probably cast a wide net. Thoughts on that? Yeah, we
1: we did cast a wide net. And and there are two set of biomarkers that move a lot. So CRP is is one of them. And there are certain cytokines like interleukin-6, which is another very pro-inflammatory cytokine uh, linking to sort of the similar cascade with CRP. And then the other set of uh, uh, biomarkers we see moving a lot is linked to fatty acid oxidation. So this is really uh, what we call as carnitines. So uh, in diabetics or in obese people, um, acyl carnitins are 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 very high because the body is not able to utilize uh, fuel. Uh, the cells are not able to utilize fuel uh, properly, uh, and fat impairs. Um, and so, what we see is now a, a, a very de- decline in these levels and a much better utilization of acyl carnitins in in sort of these biomarkers.
0: God, that's really exciting. Um, so, I, I will admit that I'm I'm quite bullish on. Urolithin A, and you know, again, thinking I'm just a, a huge fan of polyphenols. I'm a huge fan of the wonderment of the microbiome and what it can do. And but I also appreciate that, you know, many of us, especially those of us growing up, you know, in in the West, or exposed to antibiotics. Don't do a good job. So I, I'm currently taking Urolithin A, and and I, I'm here in Mexico, so I wasn't able to do the baseline test that you described. And maybe we should swing back to that to just let clinicians and people you know, regular people who are interested just know mm-hmm. how to to do that and access it. But I'm pretty excited about the possibility of it. I think that as you get into looking at DNA methylation and epigenetics, we're going to get a whole nother, you know, database of information on the wonderment of this, mm-hmm. of this compound. Um, I know limited, my limited investigation shows that it influences histone deacetylase and, and microRNAs and stuff like that. But you know, am I an appropriate candidate to take it? Like, who's, are you taking, like, who's the right person to be You, mm-hmm. beyond obese and, and older folks? Mm-hmm. It's it just, it seems like we all might consider, you know, using urolithin A if we're not producing it or not producing it therapeutic amounts. What do you think?
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I, I'm taking it. Uh, I, I'm a mid 40 year, you know, um, uh, weekend warrior, not, uh, super active every day, but yes, in the weekends, uh, uh, definitely. And, and so I think it's uh, the, the original clinical studies were designed in populations with to give it the highest chance of success that you know had a uh, underlying mitochondrial dysfunction assumption, right? Uh, yeah. Now, since then, since our launch, uh, what we see is that even uh, top athletes are on it. Uh, a lot of people who are are amateur athletes or weakened warriors, just like I described myself. They are on it, and and they swear by it because it it hits on things like as I mentioned with with exercise, CRP goes up. So and and yeah. mitochondria also get damaged with with the regular exercise, and so that's in a very emerging um, stream of research that we are actually also pursuing in elite athletes, uh, trying to show that muscle recovery is better, and so things like creatine kinase could be blunted, and, and and or muscle damage could be blunted, and 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 so I think. It's something that people need to start taking in their adult years because muscle strength is basically starts to decline 10% every decade starting in your, following your third decade. So I think you need to be proactive and address uh, how to address, you know, both muscle and cellular health uh, pretty much upfront rather than wait for the symptoms to appear uh, much like our modern medicine
0: is. Yeah, yeah, I I appreciate that uh, that thinking. Well, let me just ask you this. Um, You're probably aware of some of the studies looking at athletes using antioxidants and actually Mm -hmm. kicking in insulin resistance, like a negative, a a negative effect. So sort of the hormesis of exercise was blunted by introducing Mm -hmm. antioxidants in in athletes. And I'm just, I mean, would you, any evidence of that with urolithin A?
1: So urolitin A, we don't see it uh, having a, a robust antioxidant effect. It's really a mitophagy activator. Uh, so yeah. what it is is basically, again, to summarize what mitophagy is, is basically it accelerates the cellular garbage disposal machinery inside our cells. So with exercise or with aging, and this is well-known in even elite athletes, that they have mitophagy that is blunted. And so... You know, if you track an athlete over time, uh, in just a year or, or or a sort of a season of performance, they, they always decline. And so, actually, a lot of um, yeah. researchers in this field came to us. Uh, uh, Louis Burke in Australia at uh, ACU, she she has looked in elite athletes doing most of these studies that you were mentioning, and she said, "Well, one thing that we start to see in these elite athletes is blunted mitophagy, and, and we think." You know, Eurolitene uh, has a chance to show something in this population because what we are looking always is trying to get you know all the mitochondrial and muscle repair happen pretty quickly in these athletes. So, you know, again, research is going on, but uh, there are several elite athletes today. There are several Tour de France teams that swear by it and that are on it. So,
0: cool.
1: you know, anecdotally, but yes, I, I the research will will soon come up.
0: Good. Okay, so we'll pay attention to it, and everybody. When you go to the show notes of course you'll see links to the websites and there's a you've been you've been in the center of researching so they're up studying it so there's there's a ton of citations there but you're also paying attention to other people's work as well so as these clinical trials from elsewhere come up, I think you'll be uh, probably posting them on your site right and, Yeah, it's amazing.
1: When we started, uh, gosh, 15 years back, we were probably the only group studying uh, eural tinea and its beneficial effects. Today, there are a number of groups. So the National Mm -hmm. Institute of Health and National Institute of Aging is investing millions of dollars into looking at urolitinase effect, uh, just not on uh, cellular health and muscle health, which is basically, uh, you know, a lot of research has been done on it. They're looking at neurodegeneration. Uh, there are a lot of top research groups uh, who have studied it, and they think that, it, you know, a lot of problems with aging and cognitive health are down to declining cellular and decline and mitophagy, and this is where they have been. And so, we, you know, I, I expect a lot of trials uh, done by others in different sort of health benefit areas start to
0: pop up. That's very exciting. It's really, it's cool. And I, and I just appreciate one of the, one of the reasons I was, you know, looking forward to chatting with you is I appreciate companies who invest this kind of time and, you know, dollars in really drilling down. I mean, there's very few, you know, in the nutrition space who, who make this kind of commitment to the science, to the preclinical, as well as the clinical science. And so it's always a, it's just a real pleasure and, um, you know, really honor for me to be able to highlight the efforts that you've made.
1: Well, that's always been, uh, as they say, the North Star for for us. It's a company founded by doctors and scientists. And as I mentioned, we studied this compound for 15 years till, you know, we decided that, yeah. you know, it, we believed in it enough to start selling it. Uh, so yeah. others uh, have, have
0: and you guys uniquely figured out a way to make a bioidentical urolithin A. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and that's what I'm sure that's, that's, well, one of at least a few of your patents are related to figuring out how to do that.
1: Yeah, indeed. Yeah. So I I guess we've looked at uh, a lot of health benefits and and muscle health just shown, you know, out loud because of all the experiments and the research that went behind it. And and so uh, we we pretty much... uh, believe in the science and we have a, you know, sort of the right intellectual property to, around it to sort of go and commercialize it, which is what you need to do.
0: Let's talk about dosing. So this is something that we want to be considering in all adults for the reasons that you've mentioned, and mm-hmm. you've done different dosing studies. So where, I mean, what do you take? What do you, what do you recommend?
1: Yeah, so a, a lot of um, muscle-specific health benefits start showing up uh, at, at a dose of 500 milligrams. So that's the dose uh, we have studied a lot in clinical studies. Uh, we have gone higher and lower. Uh, lower doses do affect certain biological pathways, but maybe you need to take them just long longer to, to, to see physiological benefits. The dose that I, I think has the best clinical data is a, is a gram. Uh, of uralitin A, and this is where we start seeing even things like VO2 max, which uh, improved by 10%, which is, you know, basically, if you look at all the clinical studies on muscle and physical performance, it's equivalent to about four to six months of regular exercise, you would get 10% increases. So that's the dose that excites me personally a lot, and, and I take it, but you can get a lot of health benefits and strength and other measures such as uh, improved cellular health with 500 milligrams.
0: Very exciting. Any side effects
1: that you've come across? Uh, so we have done, gosh, what about a thousand participants in our clinical studies, and now thousands of customers. I think uh, there is no, there's no Noel if if you, for your consumers, there's no upper limit of adverse effects, and and we our dossier of safety was studied even by by the FDA, and and they they agreed with it that. Uh, you can take it, uh, at even much higher doses than we are taking. It's just that if you go even higher than a gram, uh, you saturate the bioavailability. So you can just okay. keep going and expecting higher and higher as, you know, the body ha- has ways to absorb uh, different nutrients. And so I, I, you know, this is a natural compound that, uh, that has been around evolutionary, uh, produced in our bodies. And so that's what makes it such, so safe. We haven't really seen any side effects, uh, uh, that link directly to the pro- uh, product uh, so far.
0: Good, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, and it's you know it's nice to know that you've identified an upper limit where you saturate, and so there's no you know mm-hmm. some is good, more is even better. Kind of it's, there would be no utility in taking more. Um, yeah. You've you've talked about some of the other studies going on. Anything to add add to that? Other other human studies that we want to be paying attention to.
1: Yeah, so that we we have a, a few ongoing studies. So one uh, that, that is just wrapping up, as I mentioned, is this study with elite athletes on, and looking at muscle recovery. Uh, should should be you know out this year. We've just launched another study with uh, uh, Professor Stuart Phillips at McMaster, who studies uh, who's done basically a lot of high protein uh, and anabolic resistance with aging research, and he believes that problem. Uh, often seen with high protein supplementation with aging it is, it is that the body cellular machinery is not able to take in the excess protein. And so he thinks by improving the bioenergetics, uh, you can basically amplified uh, the effects of high-protein supplementation. So that's a study ongoing in in sort of an immobilized population where you put a knee brace in in healthy people and and their muscle starts to uh, waste. And then you supplement with high-protein and urolitin A and you see uh, the impact on uh, muscle recovery. And then we have a a very growing axis of research on on immune health uh, and skin health. So these are the two other research areas we have. Immune health, uh, mostly research done uh, by academics who came to us, uh, showing that they were boosting a, the stemness of uh, of uh, immune cells. So typically in cancer patients going uh, chemo radio, the immune system basically goes to zero after uh, a new adjuvant therapy. So how fast the immune system can recede basically dis- dictates a lot of uh, uh, outcomes uh, post-cancer recovery. And so they they showed us this data, which we are now translating, that taking urolithin A post-cancer uh, can accelerate immune health, mostly by boosting mitochondrial health. And then the skin aging is basically topical application. And a lot of research is ongoing on that, how it can delay in addition uh, that mitochondria play a key role in skin aging and by acting on that, you can boost things like lowering wrinkles, etc. Huh?
0: Is that is that a commercially available product? I'm a skin, I'm like a it was
1: commercially uh, launched just this week. So this is, <laughs> oh, really? I mean, yeah, uh, we're writing the publications up. So hopefully you'll see them out um, pretty soon, but uh, we spent a good part of the last uh, couple of years looking at the effects on skin a- and the effects are similar to muscle. Uh, you upregulate late uh, mitophagy uh, in aged skin cells, you you lower inflammation uh, a- and that results in basically an impact on both intrinsic and extrinsic skin aging. So yeah, these products are launched on our website just this week.
0: That's really cool. And this is topical delivery?
1: This is topical delivery. Yeah. Wow. Of oral.
0: Did yeah. you, have you seen similar with oral? delivery on skin or does it
1: need to be it, it's an idea that has been fermenting uh to, <laughs> to sort of look at the um some certain consumers anecdotally have come back to us after months of using the oral and 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 talked about uh how their skin is looking better and so this is something we plan to do uh topical made sense because you know you're acting directly at the organ of interest which is the skin and then now we will combine it or Um, run some trials in combination.
0: Wow, okay, Very. that's very interesting. All right, so let's just talk about um, clinicians, you know, where we're going to direct them, and people, you know, just regular people interested in accessing um, the product, and doing the test that you talked about. Do you want to talk a little bit about that test, and then just kind of yeah, guide sure. us on our next steps. Sure.
1: Well, I'm a clinician myself. And, and uh, you know, um I, I think anybody who comes to your clinic uh with declining energy levels or feeling more fatigued, um people who typically, you know, come to you and say, hey, you know, I used to exercise this much and not feel it, but now, you know, it takes me much longer to recover. You know, I think those are perfect uh, candidates uh, in in sort of the clinical realm, of course, older adults with functional impairments and sort of overweight uh, sedentary population, again, fits the bill. Uh, The test uh, is a great tool to, to know whether sort of in the, Practice and functional uh, practice area, whether you need to, uh, and the dosing you need to supplement it, because you could tighter even the dosing based on, on the levels that you get from the diet. So we've invented a test. Uh, um, you know, it came from as the experience I talked about when I saw that my body wasn't making, uh, after drinking six uh, glasses of pomegranate juice, I said, hey, let, let's invent a test. Uh, and so it's a very simple test. It comes, a test is basically a sort of health kit that you get. Uh, it's still in sort of prototype trialing. Uh, it's in part of a clinical study. Comes with a what we call as a dry blood spot filter card. So you basically prick your finger, put a few drops of blood uh, as a first part of the test. Uh, and you can drink also a glass of pomegranate juice before that to just make sure you're giving yourself the best chance to see you know, um, if your body will convert, uh, or you can do it in real life, just if you think you're eating already a uh, good, you know, diet. And so that's your baseline uh, setup. And then uh, the kit comes with one serving of, of our product that gives you 500 milligrams of uh Uralitin-A or mitopure. And then you do the same, you, you again, do a second blood uh, sort of prick test and spot, and you send it to our lab, and you will get the You get a very nice report showing you the baseline levels or with the juice versus uh, after taking the supplementation. So I think it's a it's a cool uh, test to to sort of implement in the clinic where doctors can already see, you know, um, which individual absolutely needs the supplementation. And then, you know, if you're making a little bit of it, then start off at 500 dose if your body is not making anything then and you are severely sort of functionally impaired, then you maybe want to start at a higher dose.
0: Um, with the upper limit being thousand, no benefit. Yeah, so thousand. far. Yeah. So um, we've studied two okay, grams. So yeah. Peds. Are we any, any, any indication in, in kids for this?
1: No, we haven't studied it in, in, in Peds yet. Um, okay. we, we, we have uh, done some work, uh, uh, in in, uh, in lactating mothers, just to see if it crosses uh, the the into the breast milk, and it does. Uh, and we do see, again, similar like thirty percent mothers can uh, convert, and 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 that can be detected in the breast milk of of. Uh, uh, of them, so that means that offspring is being exposed to it. But we haven't done any uh, safety work or any efficacy sure. work in the pediatric population.
0: Well, lots of research to come. But it sounds like it sounds like the scientific community is is, is paying attention. <laughs> it's,
1: it's paying a lot I, of attention. Yeah, it, you know, th- this last year there were over 100 publications on yerlin. and When it started out, there was there was zero. So yeah, it's growing.
0: <laughs> well, Doctor Singh, it was really great to talk to you. Let me just give you a minute if there's anything else that you want to add. Um.
1: Well, I think uh, the way I see, uh, you know, and it's not because I, I was involved with the discovery and the research, I, I see, you know, good health as three pillars. Uh, one being exercise, you know, you have to exercise regularly to hit sort of improve your mitochondrial health. And, and that's well known. The second pillar is, is, is good nutrition, good diet, right? And so you need to be taking your uh, fruits and nuts, and 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 getting enough fiber to give your gut microbiome sort of uh, the chance to derive the phytonutrients. But I think more and more that the third pillar that is will really support these first two pillars of good exercise and good diet is uh, is adding certain phytoactives and phytonutrients that will boost your uh, cellular health and that will have long-term implications on, on how functional you will be when you're 80, 85. So that's where I think our story and the story with your lieutenant really fits very nicely.
0: I love it. Yes. Lots of papers, lots of, of goodies in our show notes, folks. I know there's actually a, a deal um, that Timeline is making available to clinicians listening to this show, to people listening to this show. Um, everything will be packed into the show notes. Uh, and then we'll link over to um, the research, to Timeline website, To it, it, and the product name is Mitopure, this urolithin A, um, so that, you know, just head over to the site and you'll find everything that you're looking for, everything that we've discussed today. Dr. Singh, it's just really been a pleasure to talk to you. I look forward to talking to you again as this science, you know, emerges. I'm sure at the end of 2023, there's going to be a whole lot more.
1: Sure. No, same here. It was a pleasure talking to you, Kara, and I look forward to, yeah. you, to talking about the future research.